When was the last time you solved the problem and you didn't fix the problem, you made it worse? <laughs> you made it worse. Uh, yesterday I was uh, working with someone who was helping me replace a door in our house, and as we were replacing the door, what we came to discover is that the new door frame was slightly bigger than the existing door opening. And I was kind of wondering, how are you going to put a bigger door frame in an existing opening? And, and as we were working on this, he said, well, if we just move this top plate up, there's some space above the top plate, so we just got to unsecure the top plate and move it up. So he took the screws out and started moving it and prying it and moving it and put a screw in and get a little more leverage, try to move it down. It wasn't moving. And I'm thinking, just whack the thing with a hammer. You know, that's what I'm thinking. But no, no, that's not how you do these things. You know, you pry a little bit more, you wiggle a little bit more, you move it a little bit more. And, and eventually you find another screw that's in the siding, which I would have torn up if I would have whacked the thing with a hammer. You know, I would have made it even worse. And after a little bit more movement and wiggling, I found some nails that had come in through the side and was able to move the board enough to see those and get the board out. Eventually got it out completely, moved it up, secured it in place um, without any further damage. But left to my own devices, I would have made the problem even worse and uh, created a bigger problem. And as I thought about this experience yesterday, I thought there's two realities that I live life with. And tell me if these resonate with you. The first reality, oh, let's get to the right slide presentation. There we go. Um, I want life to go easy all the time. That's a reality. Anybody have that reality? Anybody can say, ah, oh, yeah, that's what I'm with you. I want life to go easy all the time. Here's the second reality. I want life to go well all the time. How's that? How about that one? Anybody hands up on that one? A lot of us, right? I want life to go easy, and I want life to go well. But the reality is, does life go easy? No. Do relationships go easy? Do conflicts get easily solved? Do misunderstandings get taken care of? Uh, do hurt feelings go away with a conversation or an I'm sorry? Do financial problems disappear by the next morning? Do my bad habits get broken? My addictions get healed? I wish these were all true, but what I realized is life goes easy sometimes, or actually most of the time. Not all the time. Most of the time, life actually does go easy. Sometimes conflicts get resolved. Sometimes there's a bank error in my favor. Sometimes struggle lessen. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. And if I think about it, most of the time. The other reality is that life is full of ups and downs. Life doesn't go well all the time. It's full of ups and downs. Relationships go up and down with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your small group, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your employees. Um, finances go up and down, cars break down, and then the inspection doesn't cost too much. An appliance stops working, and then it takes five minutes to fix. Happens with our faith, too, doesn't it? You know, our faith goes up and down. Feel close to God, feel close to Jesus, connected with Him, love being with Him, and then God is silent, and I don't hear from Him, and He seems very far away. And so for the question I want us to wrestle with today is when life does not go easy, what do you do? What do you do? Because we've all admitted we want life to go easy. And there's times it does, but there's times it doesn't. And when it doesn't, what do we do? What do we do? And today we're going to follow a group of people who life did not go easy for them. And we're going to see the choices and decisions they made about solving their problems and where it led to them where it led them. We've been in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is uh, stories about the people of Israel from 1300 to 1000 BC. It's on this little strip of land that's only 85 miles wide and 270 miles long. Um, it's about the size of New Jersey, 
Um, not a place most of you want to go. I, I'm not from New Jersey, but people from, nobody likes Jersey. Everybody hates like the Jersey Shore. Nobody likes Jersey, you know, but um, that's all the bigger this place was. But God said this is the promised land. This is the land for his people, the land that he was going to give to them, the land that he was going to bless them. And he said that they said that they would follow him, and they promptly quit following him. And they began this vicious cycle of walking away from God, and then suffering, crying out for help, deliverance by a judge, and then rest from the conflict, and then life would get good, and they would abandon God, and then hit repeat again and again and again. And this final section in the book of Judges that we're looking at is a different section of the book of Judges because we're not in the repeat cycle anymore. We're not in the repeat cycle anymore. Now we're looking at what is life like for the average Israelite. What is life like in the day and the life of an Israelite? And last week we saw what happens when you make God small, and we're going to see the results of that this week. Our series is entitled Never Forget. Never Forget. Because the people of Israel forgot all these things God had done. They forgot God's goodness. They forgot God's faithfulness. And they were just one generation removed. One generation. All these people that keep ignoring and forgetting about God... It was one generation removed when God brought them over the Jordan River. It was their grandparents that saw God bring them through the Red Sea. It was their parents that saw them walk, walk around the, the walls of Jericho and see them fall down. It was their parents that saw God fight for them, and they forgot it. And our challenge is not our own devotion to God, but what does it take for us to live in such a way that the next generation doesn't forget what God has done and who he is. And that's the challenge that's in front of us. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Judges chapter 18, Judges chapter 18, you can follow along on your device if you have a Bible app. Uh, this is the page number in the Bible in your seat there. I encourage you to grab that and follow along as well. Um, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take it with you, and we'd love to have you just read through it this, past, this next week just to continue to understand this story. But Judges chapter 17, I need to just do a little quick rewind if you weren't here with us last week. Judges chapter 17, we met this guy named Micah. And Micah stole money from his mom, then gave it back, then took it to make an idol, a shrine, little idols, an ephod, and then he hired a priest, all of which God had forbidden. God said, don't do any of these things. Don't do any of these things. God said, you should only worship in the place that I designate. You shouldn't make your own little place of worship. God said, the priests are to go where God directs them. The priests are not for hire. And so everything that God said should be about faith and should be about following God. They did the complete opposite. They completely disregard that. And what we saw last week is that a God of your own making is a God too small to rescue you. And we're going to see that play out this week. The chapter begins with this reminder, in those days Israel had no king. It's an odd statement because Israel had never had a king. So why would you say we don't have a king right now? It's like when you say, I don't have a car that works. Well, you've had a car. It's different than saying, I've never had a car. Why wouldn't you say, I've never had a king? Likely, this is someone after, probably Samuel, writing these words back and reminding Israel of this time. The truth was, Israel did have a king. God was their king. But they lived as if they didn't have a king. They lived as if they had no king. And basically, we saw last week, they did what? Everyone did as they saw fit, meaning everybody did what they wanted. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's all that matters is me doing what I want to do. And slowly, the ways of the foreign nations who opposed God were becoming their ways. 
initially in their faith, which we're looking at these two weeks, and then in the next couple weeks in their morality, morality and in their ethics. And we're focused on one tribe, one group. The, the people of Israel were divided into 12 groups of 12 tribes. And each tribe, 11 of those tribes were given land as the land was divided up. The promised land was divided up. You go here, you go here, you go here. The only tribe that didn't get land was the Levites because they were the priests that were divided up to serve the people in the places of worship. And so one of the tribes that these two chapters focus on is the tribe of Dan. And the tribe of Dan was given this land. Um, uh, they were trying to find a place to settle because they hadn't come into their inheritance. You, and you read that and you scratch your head. You're thinking, wait a minute, I thought they all got their little portions. Uh, what do you mean they didn't get any? They didn't get any. It's like you divide your, the food out for the kids. This is how much you each get. And one kid says, I didn't get any. And you know you gave it to them. You know you gave it to them. But it's gone. It's gone. You know, so what happened? Well, um, what happened was, what happened was I lost my slide. Oh, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong verse up there. This is actually supposed to be Judges chapter 1, not Judges 18. Sorry about that. What happened was the land they were given was land that the Amorites had. And the Amorites kept them in the hills, didn't let them conquer the plains. You say, what did that matter? You can't plant crops in the hills. You can't raise livestock in the hills, except maybe goats. That's about all you can raise in the hills. And so they were very limited in where they were able to live. And they would not let them go down to the plains. And so the Danites said, they said, this is a problem. We don't have any place to live. Now, let me ask you this question. What would you assume that people who said we're going to follow God and whatever God says we're going to do and he's going to be our God and he's going to be our king, what would you assume that they would do if they needed help, if they were followers of God? What would be one of your assumptions where they would go for help? Probably to God. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. But the people of Dan did not go to God. They never called out to God. They never asked God for help. They never asked those around them to help. They said, we're going to solve this ourselves. Life was not easy. They were living in the hills. They said, we're going to solve this ourselves. So they sent five men out from Zorah and Eshtel to spy out the land. And they said, go and find us land. And so they're in the southern part of the, southern part of the land of Israel. That's where their area was supposed to be. And they started wandering around trying to find land. And guess whose house they came to? Micah's house, of all people, the guy we met last week. And so they came into Micah's house and they spent the night there. And when they're near the house, they hear a voice. And they say, y'all, what are y'all doing out there? That, where's that guy from? Where's that y'all person from? You know, They heard an accent and they're wondering, where's that accent? Or Bahaba, you know, where are they from? We all know where that accent's from when we hear that, right? We know where those are from. And they heard an accent that they didn't recognize. They said, who is this guy? Where is he from? What's he doing? Why are you here? They're asking him all these questions. All these questions. And the guy that they heard was this guy who was the priest, who had been a priest for hire. And he told them what Mike had done. He said, he hired me, and I am his priest. And when you look at this, these, these verses, there's some things that are really odd because they're asking him all kinds of questions. But he never once asked them a question. He never once says, what are you guys doing? Where are you going? What, what are you, oh, we're, we're on a search for, for land, for our tribe, for our family. Why are you searching for land? God, this got all divided up. You guys have some. Why are you searching? 
Nobody asked any questions. Nobody asked and was curious. And he just said, I'm a priest for hire, which you would think then if these were people of God, they said, priest for hire? Who hires priests? We're not supposed to do that. That's against, the, that's against God's law. The priests are supposed to go where God directs them. We're not supposed to hire the priest. But nobody raises any questions because this was what life was like in the land of Israel during the time of the judges. Nobody regarded God. Everybody did what they wanted to do. They said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. So, all right, let me get this straight. So you got these guys from Dan who are disregarding God, but they want to know from God if life is going to go well. And so they ask another guy who's completely disregarding what God says if he would help them figure this whole thing out. You know, it's kind of like asking a middle schooler for dating advice, you know? I mean, like, what in the world? They don't have a clue. This guy doesn't have a clue. He doesn't care what God says. But they're asking the guy that doesn't have a clue, will life go well? Will life go easy? He says, sure. Sure, go in peace. God's good with it. God's good with it. Just go. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. God's given his green light on this one. So the men left, and they went and found this place. They traveled all the way to the northern part of the land of Israel. And look at the description. Safety, peace, security, lacking nothing, prosperous. Wow, this was like the Garden of Eden, not the fruit stand, you know, or the vegetable stand. This was like heaven on earth. This was perfect. This was perfect. And they were a long way from the Sidonians. You say, what do you mean the Sidonians? Well, actually, the land they were looking at was part of a bigger area that the Sidonians oversee, but the Sidonians lived way over here. And so these guys, they kind of lived on their own. Kind of like the big brother that you know, made sure everything was okay, but he never showed up. The landlord that never showed up. you know, um, And they didn't know anything about him. They're like, wow, this is sweet. So they went back to Zor and Eshtal and their Danites. They said, how'd you find things? They said, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land and it's good. Are you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go over there and take it over. And they said, when you get there, this is what you're going to find. Unsuspecting people, spatial land. God has put it into our hands. God has put it into our hands. I hate when God gets credit for bad stuff. I hate it. You know, guy's having trouble in his relationship. He tells me, God's brought this woman in his life. I'm like, God did not do that. What are you talking about? You know? Someone goes and blows a bunch of money and buys something they don't have the money for and put themselves away in debt and jeopardize it. You know, God provided me this great deal. I'm like, God did not provide you that great deal. You know? But that's what they were doing in this story. They're giving God credit for stuff that God didn't have anything to do with. They didn't care about God. They didn't want to follow God. But when something good came, how oh, we'll give God some props on this one, you know? A land that lacks nothing, whatever. Nothing. So what did he do? He got 600 guys ready for battle, and they set out. And they went, and they're making their way back up north, and they decided, hey, let's take a little pit stop at Micah's house. We know Micah. We'll take a little pit stop at Micah's house, maybe refuel a little bit. And as they're coming to Micah's house, the five guys who had been the spies sent out before, they said, hey, remember this dude Micah? He's got this own little God thing. He's got his little shrine. He's got his little temple. He's got his little gods. He's got this image. He's like, and then they say, now you know what to do. You know, wink, wink, you know. Um, and what did they do? 
They came in, they greeted him, and they left their guys armed for battle at the front door. So who's going to put up a fight when this is happening? Who's going to put up a fight here? And then they proceeded to just steal everything that he had. Took the idol, took the ephod, took the household goods, and the men are standing at the gate. And the priest is standing there, and he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I love this next verse. They're like, shh, be quiet. Don't say a word. By the way, we'll pay you some more money. You want to come with us? You know, how about a raise? Here, you're just a priest over one man's household. There, if you come with us, you can be the priest over the whole clan, over the whole tribe. And the guy's like, hey, sounds like a good deal. I'm going. I'm going. And he took off with them. You're like, this is a weird story. This is a weird story. But this was what life was like in the land of Israel. Whoever was bigger and stronger and had the most persuasive argument, guess what? They got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. God's law didn't matter. God's truth didn't matter. Morality didn't matter. Ethics, as we're going to see even next week, in an escalated way, was thrown completely to the wind. Even in the religious community. Even in the religious community. It was completely, completely gone. So as they leave... Look what they do. They put their children, their livestock, and their possessions in the front of them, and they turned away and left. Now, why do you think they put their children, their livestock, and their possessions in the front? You've got 600 warriors. Why do you think they put them in the front? What are they expecting from behind? Someone's coming after them, right? Someone's not going to give up their idols easily. Someone's not going to go down, you know, not going to take this laying down. And they were right. Because when they had gone some distance, the men who lived near Micah were called together and they went after the Danites. They shouted after them and they said, what's the matter with you? And the, the Danites said, what's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? And Micah said, you took the gods I made and my priests and went away. What else do I have? What else do I have? That phrase, you took the gods I made, it also can be translated, you took my gods which I made for myself. How bad is that? Who makes their own God, by the way? Can you really make your own God? Can you make your own deity? But that's what he believed. He believed he made his own God. He believed he made his own deity. And then he says, what else do I have? You've taken everything that matters to me. What else do I have? He said, how can you ask what's the matter? Remember, he's made his own God, right? God of your own making? Too small to solve your problems. Did his God solve his problems? Did God bail him out? No way. His God was gone in a heartbeat. He was gone in a heartbeat. And we talked last week, and if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to go online and listen to the message where we talked about how the, the danger is when we make our own gods, when we come up with our own way of living life, when we live life like the life was like in the land of Israel, when we put statements in God's mouth, and credit to God, things that are not from God, we create a God of our own making. Whether it's about our success, or our finances, or our children, or our future, or our control, or our fears. It's a God of our own making. Well, what does, Mike, what does the Danites say? They said, don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and you'll lose the only thing you have left. And that's your life and your family. 
your life and your, have, your family. And you know, one of the things I realized is that when you have a God of your own making, it's not going to rescue you. It's not going to save you. It's not going to deliver you. Um, and that's what Micah discovered. And so he goes home with nothing. What did the Danites then go ahead and do? They went on their way, and Micah, seeing they were too strong, he went back home. Micah, they took what Micah had made. His priests went on to Laish. The people at peace and security, they attacked them with their sword, and they burned down. They just wiped out this whole community. They wiped out the community. There was no one there to rescue them. They were all helpless. Um, they named the place Dan after their ancestor. And they set up for themselves the idol. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of priest, the, the, the son of Moses, and his sons were the priest. And notice how the, judges, the writer of Judges ends this. He says this. They continues the idol that Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. God had determined a place for Dan to live. God had determined a place for them to worship. And they disregarded all of that and chose their own place. Chose their own place. Mike is a story of a guy that made a God who was too small to rescue him and a God that leaves you with nothing in the end. But I think the bigger story is the story of the, Dan, the people of Dan who had a clear inheritance. God said, this is his plan for you. They had a clear way to obtain it, and it was hard. They couldn't conquer it. And instead of asking the God of heavens for help, crying out to Yahweh for direction, they sought another way. And when life is not easy, they solved their own problems, and all they did is produce more pain. They failed to call out to a God who was with them, a God who would make their make a way, and a God whose ways are best. They chose to go their own way. They chose to find their own solution. They chose to find their own plan, finding people who would agree with them instead of telling them what was wrong and wanting their own way. They needed someone to tell them that following God, they needed to hear that life is not always easy and one that doesn't, there's another way, not my own way. Not my own way, it should say. When life doesn't go easy, what do you do? When life doesn't go easy, what do you do? Do you just take life into your own hands and just try to accomplish it? And you know the crazy thing about this story? The people of Dan were successful. They were successful. They took life into their own hands and they wiped these people out and they lived there and they created this place of worship that I visited when I was over in the land of Israel just earlier this year where the worship of these foreign gods took place until the whole land was... To, they actually put a golden calf there just like from the time of Moses and they brought the people there and said, worship God here. They were successful. You know, sometimes we think that if I turn away from God, life is just going to go south and completely down the tubes. It doesn't always do that. Sometimes when you make life work your own way, it actually works for a long time. It actually works. That's where there are people that claim to follow God and they live affluent lives and it's all about them and their money. And their kids appear to be highly successful. And you find yourself scratching your head saying, God, I don't get this. I don't, I don't get this. Why is it that some people can choose their own way and there seems to be successful and other people choose their own way and there's consequences to pay? 
In this story, the people of Dan, they chose their own way, and they wiped out a community. They stole. They lived life on their own. And the impression we get is they never paid a price for it. But it cost a bunch of people their lives. And eventually this foreign worship of a foreign God cost the nation of Israel their freedom and they all end up in captivity. The truth is, we all want life to go easy. We all want life to go well. But what do I do when it doesn't? What do I do when it doesn't? Jesus said this, What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? everything that makes life easy and goes well, but lose his own soul. You see, when someone is, appears to be successful, when someone is pursuing success, when someone's living life on their own, when someone has walked away from God and said, I'm going to pursue this, it appears on the outside that life is going well, but Jesus says, if life is all about what you gain and what you own and possess, there's nothing inside. There's nothing inside. Jesus also says this, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There's something about sacrifice. There's something about giving things up. There's something about setting things aside. And the people of Israel could not do that. They lived life saying, what I want, and you're going to hear this next week, I want what I want and I'm going to take what I want no matter who it hurts or no matter how I have to get it. And you might say in your mind, well, I, I, I don't do that. Really? Really? Um, when life is not going well, when it's hard, they found their own way and it came with a very high price. And so ask yourself this question, what in your life is not going well? What in your life is not going well? Is it a relationship that's not going well? Is it a struggle an addiction, a habit that's not going well? Is it a job or career direction that's not going well? Is it finances that are not going well? Is it a health issue that's not going well? Is it your future? Whether it's your future at the early season of your life looking ahead to what's coming or a future as you're moving towards a season of, of being empty nest and what retirement, what is, what is not going well? And you have a choice in front of you. You can choose your way or God's way. You can choose your plan or God's plan. You can choose your truth. And I guarantee you'll get somebody to agree with you. I mean, this cra these crazy people, they got someone to agree with them, right? They got someone to tell them, God says this is a good idea. And they believed it so much, they went back to their own people and said, guess what God did for us? So you can convince yourself of your own truth, and you'll get somebody to agree with you. Or you can pursue God's truth that will require you to give something up to gain what your soul longs for. And so I want you to ask yourself this question, what in your life is not going well? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, you know, John, um, as I think about my life, life is actually going pretty easy right now. You, you said most of the time it goes easy. I'm in the easy stretch right now. And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question, if life is going well, could your success be a result of making life work on your own way instead of God's way? Could your success be a result of making your life work your way instead of God's way? You see, if there's no challenge in life, then you don't need God. You don't. 
And if you say to yourself, you know, if I'm honest, life is going pretty well. I like to have God, but I'm not sure I need God. Say, John, what do I do? Because I want to live a life where I need God in my life. I want to suggest to you that there's some things that God's challenging you to do. He's challenging you to take some steps of faith. He might challenge you, as you heard Roddy talk about, maybe to serve, to sacrifice some of your time. He might be challenging you to take a step to grow in your faith, to be involved in starting point this fall, or join a small group, or give yourself to other people. He might be challenging you to give back to Him financially. You've heard me challenge our church to say, what would it look like to give the first 10% of your income back to God and say, God, I'm going to do that for the next 90 days. I don't know how or in what way. And you aren't sure how you'll do that without God. Maybe you need to take a step of faith and be baptized and say, I want to go public with my faith. I'm not sure what that'll mean. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know what the implications are. You know, maybe I need to invest and serve in a, in a ministry in our community. It's making a difference, like we heard Rod talk about with real life here. You see, there's lots of ways for you to take steps of faith, for you to move yourself from a place of comfort and ease and life going well and no promise to a place where I need God, I can't do this on my own. And you can make life work on your own, or you can stay in a place where you don't need God and rely solely on yourself. This is what life was like in the land of Israel. And this is why they forgot God. I don't know about you, but I don't want this to be what life is like at Cookhalco Community Church in another generation. Where we just do what we want to do and we've forgotten the God that brought us to where we are. And it starts with all of us sitting in this room right now. Saying, what's my life going to look like when life does not go easy? Or when life is easy, what change has God given me a nudge and saying it's time to move? It's time to move. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And as you bow your heads, I just want you to talk to God. And Maybe your conversation with God is about things that aren't going well right now. And you just need to ask Him for to show up. Maybe life is going well. And you realize you're just living life without God. You haven't forced, pushed God away. You've just done a great job being successful. Not unlike the Danites, people of Dan. And um, you don't intentionally worship other idols, but I'm not sure how much you need God. And so is your heart open to say, God, I'm willing to take a step of faith. I'm willing to Explore what does it look like for me to live in such a way that I'm willing to make a sacrifice and say, God, how do I live in such a way that I need you? That I need you. Lord, you know each one of our hearts. Um, you know where we're at today.
And this story in the Old Testament that seems a bit odd, seems a bit strange, it's almost a bit comical, um, is there for us to learn from, is there for us to pay attention to so that we don't continue to pursue life, to pursue a life of ease and security and prosperity apart from you. God, help us more than anything else to live in such a way that we need you, that we need Jesus, no matter what we're facing every day of our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Give Me Jesus. And Lord, in a story that's somewhat sad and somewhat tragic of people who did not do that at all, May that not be the story, the narrative that's written of my life, of our lives, when we find ourselves with life not going easy. That we make our own God that can't rescue us, that leaves us in a place far from you, creating more pain for generations to come. And so God, what does that look like for me today? And what does that look like for each one of us today and tomorrow? It looks like... Doing a little soul searching, God. Going home and sitting down and looking in our lives and say, where am I trying to make life work on my own? Where have I pushed you out? What do I need to change so that I live life needing you? And so, God, I pray that you would challenge us to do that. In your name I pray.